Hello and welcome to An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. We explore the Book of Mormon with the assumption that science worked the same then as it does now and that the characters are real people with the same types of feelings and tendencies as you and me today. The views and opinions expressed here are strictly those of the narrator and should not be considered official interpretations in any way. And now An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. What happens when a group of exiled priests who haven't seen their wives for a couple of years find a group of young Lamanite girls alone in the forest? Today's video will cover Mosiah chapters 19 through 22. Let me start by giving a very high-level roadmap, and then we'll fill in the details. Zenith left Zarahemla and came to the land of Nephi. He was king for about 35 years and then gave the kingdom to his son Noah. Noah reigned for about 10 years before Abinadi came and warned Noah and his people to repent. He returned two years later, testified before the king, and was executed. For roughly the next two years, Alma taught his followers by the waters of Mormon. King Noah sent his army to destroy them, but they fled. The Lamanites invaded, King Noah was killed by his own men, and the priests were scattered. Noah's son Limhi became the new leader and negotiated peace with the Lamanites. Then they lived in captivity for roughly the next 25 years. Then a group of men from Zarahemla came south, found Limhi's people, and helped them escape back to Zarahemla. Now we'll get into the details, but first we need to answer our trivia question from last time. In addition to the city of Lehi-Nephi, what city did the Lamanites allow the Nephites to reoccupy when Zenith's group came south? When Zenith and his original group came south from Zarahemla, the Lamanites allowed them to occupy the lands of Lehi-Nephi and also Shilom. So the answer to the question is Shilom. All right, now we'll get into the details a bit more. We ended last time with King Noah sending an army to destroy Alma and his group who were meeting at the Waters of Mormon. He claimed that they were rebelling against him. Now, this was a classic case of Noah misreading the tea leaves. There were people rebelling against him, but it wasn't Alma's group. Mosiah 19.2 says the king's forces were small, having been reduced, and also that there began to be a division among the people people began to, quote, breathe out threatenings against the king, and there began to be a great contention among them. And in this commotion, we meet a man named Gideon, verse 4. And now there was a man among them whose name was Gideon, and he being a strong man and an enemy to the king, therefore he drew his sword and swore in his wrath that he would slay the king. Gideon was a strong young man. He will eventually be overpowered and slain by Nehor, quote, a man who was large and noted for his much strength, but that doesn't happen for another 30 to 60 years. In Mosiah chapter 19, Gideon was in his prime. Verse 5, And it came to pass that he fought with the king, and when the king saw that he was about to overpower him, he fled and ran and got upon the tower which was near the temple. That verse changed my mental picture of Noah. The famous Arnold Freeberg painting shows him as being morbidly obese, but here he is fighting with Gideon. Eventually, when he realized he was going to lose, he fled and climbed the tower near the temple. Mosiah 11.12 tells us that this was, quote, a very high tower, so high that it allowed Noah to look over all the land round about. Verse 6, And Gideon pursued after him, 
and was about to get upon the tower to slay the king. And the king cast his eyes round about towards the land of Shemlon, and behold, the army of the Lamanites were within the borders of the land. I'm not sure why Noah fled up a high tower to escape a stronger opponent. He had to know he would be trapped. Maybe he thought his chances would be better attacking from high ground. But verse 6 tells us by the time Gideon reached this very high tower, Noah had already climbed clear to the top. So if you've been picturing Noah as a morbidly obese man like it shows in the Freeburg painting, you may need to revise your mental image. When Noah reached the top of the observation tower, he saw a Lamanite army already in the borderlands of Shemlon, and they were fast approaching. So as Gideon prepared to pursue a terrified King Noah up the tower, Noah called down, Gideon, spare me, for the Lamanites are upon us, and they will destroy us. Yea, they will destroy my people. So Gideon spared Noah, and Noah descended the tower and told his people that the Lamanites were coming and to flee into the wilderness. His citizens ran with Noah, presumably sprinting at the front. They hadn't gone very far before the Lamanites overtook them and began to kill the slower ones, which is mostly the women and children. Noah shouted for his men to leave the women and children behind and save themselves. Several men obeyed, but others decided they would rather die with their families than escape with their own lives. As Noah and his group, including his priests, escaped into the wilderness, the men who stayed behind had their, quote, fair daughters plead with the Lamanites for mercy. Verse 14, And it came to pass that the Lamanites had compassion on them, for they were charmed with the beauty of their women. The record never explains why the Lamanite army invaded, but it seems likely that the army's goal was not to slaughter all the Nephites, but to bring them into captivity as they had originally intended decades earlier. So, after catching Noah's people, the Lamanites marched them back to the land of Nephi. But the time of free rent was over, and the Lamanites had finally accomplished their original goal of enslaving the Nephites, which we discussed clear back in Mosiah chapter 9, verses 10 through 12. One of the king's sons was among the captured Nephites, and his name was Limhi. We are told that he was a just man, and he appears to have assumed the responsibilities of the king in his father's absence, and he negotiated a peace deal with the Lamanites. Verse 15, Therefore the Lamanites did spare their lives, and took them captives, and carried them back to the land of Nephi, and granted unto them that they might possess the land, under the conditions that they would deliver up King Noah into the hand of the Lamanites and deliver up their property, even one half of all they possessed. The Lamanites agreed to let Noah's people remain in the land, provided they paid a 50% tax, and provided they handed over the king. It seems that the Lamanites had a vendetta against King Noah in particular. Unfortunately, Limhi couldn't hand over King Noah because he was missing, and also, although Limhi knew his father hadn't been a good guy, he didn't want him to be killed. But Gideon, the man who had already tried to kill Noah, felt no qualms about bringing the king to justice, and he sent a secret search party into the wilderness to find him. Gideon's search party met an angry and determined group of Nephite men marching back to the land of Nephi. It was the group that had fled when the Lamanites in invaded. Quote, All save the king and the priests were coming back. Eventually, after Following the king, abandoning their families, and fleeing from the invading Lamanite army, the adrenaline wore off and these men began to imagine 
what the Lamanites were probably doing to their families. They decided to return and give their lives, avenging the deaths of their loved ones. When Noah commanded them not to return, they, quote, caused that he should suffer even unto death by fire. Then, having killed Noah, they sought to execute his priest as well. But the priest escaped and fled into the wilderness. When this band of guilty and wretched husbands and fathers marched back to avenge their families, they met Gideon's search party and learned that their wives and children were still alive. Furthermore, they discovered that they could continue to work the land, but they must pay tribute to the Lamanites. Verse 24, And it came to pass that after they had ended the ceremony, that they returned to the land of Nephi rejoicing, because their wives and their children were not slain, and they told Gideon what they had done to the king. With Noah dead, Limhi reached an agreement with the Lamanites. The, the Nephites were under oath to pay tribute of, quote, one half of all they possess, and the Lamanite king swore that his people would not slay them. That's not much of a concession, but the Nephites were in no position to bargain. Lamanite guards were stationed throughout the land to ensure that the Nephites did not escape. Verse 29, And now King Limhi did have continual peace in his kingdom for the space of two years. But the Lamanites did not molest them, nor seek to destroy them. Now we move into chapter 20, where we'll talk about King Noah's priests. These were not good guys. Not only had they tortured the prophet Abinadi to death, but for several years, chapter 11 and 12 said, these priests had spent most of their time with harlots. Noah's priests were ashamed to return to their wives and children. You heard correctly. These priests who, quote, spent their strength with harlots were family men, and they were afraid that if they came home, the people would kill them as they had Noah. But they hadn't completely left the area either. They were just outside the land of Nephi, hiding in the land of Shemlon. And Shemlon was near enough to the land of Nephi to be seen from King Noah's tower. So they couldn't go home to their wives, and there were no harlots in the wilderness, and two years of this went by. So with that as backdrop, the narrator says this. Verse 1, Now there was a place in Shemlon where the daughters of the Lamanites did gather themselves together to sing and to dance and to make themselves merry. The expression, make themselves merry, is sometimes a euphemism for doing a little drinking, but not always. Maybe they were just having a good time. In any case, the priests liked to hide and watch these girls. Usually, many girls gathered, but one day there were only a few of them. And the priests seized their opportunity. Here's verse 5. And when there were but few of them gathered together to dance, they, meaning the priests, came forth out of their secret places and took them and carried them into the wilderness. Yea, twenty and four of the daughters of the Lamanites they carried into the wilderness. Let's talk numbers real quickly. Twenty-four is a lot. How many were there usually? That also tells us that there were probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 24 priests. The mental image of two dozen grown men hiding in the bushes watching young girls dance is beyond creepy. But it was worse than this. They carried them away and made wives of them. When the Lamanites learned what had happened to their daughters, they sent an army to settle the score. The record doesn't say how the Lamanites knew the girls had been abducted, it's possible, or maybe even likely, that with more than 24 girls in the group, some of them might have escaped, and they might have reported that their friends had been abducted by a group of Nephite men. But either way, the Lamanites assumed the people of Limhi were to blame, and the king of the Lamanites prepared to lead his people into battle. King Limhi, from on top of his high tower, saw the Lamanites preparing to attack, 
and positioned his people where they could ambush the invaders. Verse 9, And it came to pass that when the Lamanites had come up, that the people of Limhi began to fall upon them from their waiting places and began to slay them. And it came to pass that the battle became exceedingly sore, for they fought like lions for their prey. And it came to pass that the people of Limhi began to drive the Lamanites before them. Yet they were not half so numerous as the Lamanites, but they fought for their lives and for their wives and their children. Therefore they exerted themselves, and like dragons did they fight. Lemhi's people succeeded in driving back the attackers. And they discovered the wounded Lamanite king among the fallen. When Lemhi asked him why he had broken his vow not to attack, the king explained that many Lamanite daughters had disappeared. Lemhi swore he would search among his people and discover who was responsible for abducting the girls and put them to death. But Gideon, who was now Lemhi's captain, suggested that the missing priests had almost certainly carried off the girls. So Limhi pacified the Lamanite king by telling him of the missing priests, and the king persuaded his armies, who were preparing a second invasion to call off their attack. Limhi and his people returned to the land of Nephi, but the Lamanites wouldn't leave them alone. Their girls were still missing. So the Lamanites continued to enter into the land and although they couldn't kill Limhi's people because of the oath that their king had taken, there was no law against mistreating them. Verse 3, Now they durst not slay them because of the oath which their king had made unto Limhi, but they would smite them on their cheeks and exercise authority over them and begin to put heavy burdens upon their backs and drive them as they would a dumb ass. The Nephite situation was precisely in line with Abinadi's prophecy in Mosiah 12. Yea, and I will cause that they shall have burdens lashed upon their backs, and they shall be driven before like a dumb ass. They had no one to ask for help. They had no way to escape. They complained to Limhi and sought permission to attack their oppressors. Limhi didn't want to fight, but they persisted. When he finally gave in and allowed them to attack, they put on their armor and attacked the Lamanites. But being badly outnumbered, they were slain and driven back to their lands. Verse 9. And now there was a great mourning and lamentation among the people of Limhi, the widow mourning for her husband, the son and the daughter mourning for their father, and the brothers for their brethren. Overall, the description of their suffering given in this chapter is pretty brief, and that might give us an, an inaccurate impression of the timeline. From the dates given, we can calculate that Limhi's people were in bondage somewhere between 20 and 25 years. That's a long time. Lemhi's people attacked the Lamanites a second and a third time with disastrous results, and this is a pattern we see throughout the Book of Mormon. When the Nephites defend their lives and families, they're successful. When they attack their enemies, they lose. After three consecutive defeats, Lemhi's subjects were a broken people with no desire left to fight. Verse 13, And they did humble themselves even to the dust, subjecting themselves to the yoke of bondage, submitting themselves to be smitten, and to be driven to and fro and burdened according to the desires of their enemies. Despite knowing that their punishment was precisely what Abinadi had prophesied, Limhi's people began praying for mercy. But the Lord was slow to hear their cries and, quote, did not see fit to deliver them out of bondage. Nonetheless, despite having fewer men to work the fields, they began to prosper by degrees in the land and were blessed with abundant grain and flocks. However, in verse 21, we learn that Noah's missing priests who were still in the area, started conducting nighttime raids and stealing grain, quote, and many of their precious things. With all of this going on, Limhi and his people took several actions. First, Limhi required every man to help support 
the numerous widows and orphans created by the recent battles. Second, the people stayed gathered close together whenever possible. Third, Limhi did not go outside the city walls without his guards. Fourth, Limhi asked his people to watch for the roaming, thieving band of priests. It was under these conditions, with Limhi's people on the lookout for Noah's priests, that Ammon and his group arrived in the land of Mosiah in chapter 7 that we read about a couple of episodes ago. Here's verse 23. And the king, having been without the gates of the city with his guard, discovered Ammon and his brethren, and supposing them to be the priests of Noah, therefore he caused that they should be taken and bound and cast into prison. And had they been the priests of Noah, he would have caused that they should be put to death. Before Ammon's arrival, Limhi sent a small expedition to search for the land of Zarahemla from where his people had come a couple of generations earlier. They were looking for help. The search party became lost in the wilderness, though, and while wandering, they stumbled across a land whose people were all dead, and their bones were scattered everywhere. Thinking this desolate city was the land of Zarahemla, the search party returned to the land of Nephi. Limhi must have been absolutely devastated by his search party's mistaken report of Zarahemla's destruction because it meant there was no hope of his people receiving outside help. So imagine his delight, his relief, and his excitement when these newly captured prisoners, Ammon and his group, who he assumed to be missing priests, delivered the following message from Mosiah 7.13. If ye had known me, you would not have suffered that I should have worn these bands, for I am Ammon, and am a descendant of Zarahemla, and have come up out of the land of Zarahemla to inquire concerning our brethren whom Zenith brought up out of that land." people of Zarahemla were alive and well. Moreover, they were trying to find Limhi's people. Limhi rejoiced and celebrated with his people. In Mosiah chapter 7 and 8, we read about Ammon and Limhi exchanging news and catching up on events. Now chapter 21 gives us some additional detail. Ammon and the group from Zarahemla were saddened by the recent deaths of so many Nephites. They also mourned the departure of Alma and his group, who had formed the Church of God based on Abinadi's teachings. They did not know where Alma's group had gone. Now, verse 31 tells us, they would have gladly joined with them, for they themselves had entered into a covenant with God to serve him and keep his commandments. And now since the coming of Ammon, King Limhi had also entered into a covenant with God and also many of his people to serve him and keep his commandments. Limhi and many of his people wanted to be baptized, but no one had authority to do it. Alma and the other priests were all gone, and Ammon considered himself, quote, an unworthy servant. So baptism was going to have to wait, but first they needed a way to escape. Verse 36, the last verse of the chapter says, And now the study of Ammon and his people and King Limhi and his people was to deliver themselves out of the hands of the Lamanites and from bondage. Now chapter 22, our last chapter. Limhi and Ammon gathered their people together to plan their escape from the Lamanites. They could not defeat them in battle. They had failed three times already. So their best alternative was to completely abandon the land of Nephi and flee back to Zarahemla with their families, tents, flocks, and herds. Gideon, who was now the king's captain, observed that the Lamanites guarding the back wall on the back side of the city got drunk at night. He suggested that after everyone prepared to leave, he could deliver a final payment of wine to the guards 
and the people could escape through a secret pass to the left of their camp. Then they would travel around the land of Shilom and on to Zarahemla. They escaped exactly as Gideon suggested, and after many days of travel, King Mosiah welcomed them to the land of Zarahemla. When the Lamanites realized the Nephites had departed, they pursued after them with their army. But after two days, the Lamanite soldiers could no longer follow their tracks and became lost in the wilderness. How do you lose the trail of a few thousand people accompanied by livestock? There's a rational explanation for everything. So what kind of terrain or weather could hide that kind of a path? To me, the simplest explanation would be a heavy snowstorm falling and covering their tracks. But I am wide open to other ideas. If you have them, leave them in the comments. So chapter 22 ends with the Nephites safely back in Zarahemla, other than Alma's group. And we'll talk about Alma's group next time. But before we go, here's the trivia question. What was the name of the first person that Alma baptized in the Waters of Mormon? Stay tuned because we're going to see him again in the next chapter. What was the name of the first person that Alma baptized? We'll see you next time.